0: I love everything about that. Do me a favor right now. Let's say thank you to Rick and Nancy for sharing that story. One life sharing with another life with potential eternal significance. I love that. Rick and Nancy are some of my heroes. I love their story. My goodness, they served 50 years in vocational ministry, 30 years pastoring a local church and 20 years serving a global international relief organization, and now they're pastoring their neighbors. They're shining Jesus light in a Jesus way, the power of relationships, and God is being glorified. I love that story. By the way, this is a, an example of what we're aiming at as a church. Over the next seven weeks, we tend to overcomplicate this whole evangelism thing. It makes us nervous even saying the word. You picture in your mind's eye maybe some kind of a crazy person on the street yelling about God at people as they walk past. Huh? Literally sharing life with the people around you, with purpose. That counts, and shining your light in profound ways. Before we dive too deep into that, though, I want to play a little game. I know it's kind of rainy outside. Let's kind of raise the mood in the room just a little bit. Some of you, maybe you've played the game, Would You Rather. That's kind of a negative way to look at what we're going to do here in a minute. Like, would you rather eat off the floor or lick a booger-ridden doorknob? We're not playing that game. This is a game called, Is This Good News? So you're gifted with an opportunity, and you're going to choose between one or the other. Which one for you do you put in the good news category? All right? Then I want you to yell, scream, stomp your feet, whatever, applaud. You're going to vote for which one of these you view as good news. Are you ready? Here we go. All right. Here's the gift. Good news. You're now the life of every party you go to. Some of you introverts are saying, that doesn't sound like good news. I don't want to do that. Now, okay, you're the life of every party you get to go to. One of two things is going to happen. You either sing to every song you hear now, like out loud, loud, or you get to dance to every song you hear. All right, so you're going to choose which one is good news for you. Ready? How many of you would say, this is good news? Let me hear it. Let me hear it. All right, all right. How many of you would say, this is good news? Love it, love it. All right, now we're gonna over-spiritualize this game just a little bit. Uh, You now have the opportunity to solve global issues, right? First of all, solving world hunger. Is that good news for you? Or solving global warming, which of these? Let's uh, applaud if it's this one, world hunger. Yeah. How many of you, uh, global warming, similar as last hour? Interesting, okay. Now, let's go a little bit more, maybe selfish. You get the gift of somebody just making things happen for you. So how many of you would say it's good news to have a personal maid? How many of you would say it's good news to have a personal chef? Do you wanna cook or do you wanna clean? Here you go, you're gonna vote, ready? How many of you would say this right here is good news? Somebody clean my house. Yeah. How many of you would say, Cook my meals. This is good news. I think as a church, we might be just slightly messier than eating. Okay. All right. You get an all-expense-paid vacation. Which of these is good news? You're going to the beach or you're going on a mountain ski vacation? How many of you would vote for this one? Yep. How many of you would vote for this one? This would be me. That would be Dawn. Okay, how many of you, uh, the good news is somebody moves in next door. Some of you are looking at, oh, it's Tom Hanks. That's good news. How many of you would say somebody moves in next door, it's Taylor Swift? And you would say, that's good news. All right, ready? How many of you, Tom Hanks, he's your boy. (laughs) Taylor Swift. There are slightly more Swifties in this hour than last hour. All right. Last but not least, you have a neighbor who moves in next door. Do you pick our youth pastor, Jake Smith, or Joy Fell, Which our children's pastor? Which of these is good news? Jake? Joy? It's a party for all. All right. So here's the thing. We get excited about what we believe is good news. And we tell everybody about it, Right? You know exactly what I'm talking about. You go to a new restaurant that's just opened up. You have incredible service. The food is great. You can't shut up about it. You tell everybody, you got to go check out this restaurant. It's awesome. When it's good news, we want to share it. Ladies, you get another pair. Did I say another pair? You got another pair of cute shoes, and they fit right, and they're comfortable, and you like the way they look. You tell everybody about it. You gotta go buy wherever ladies buy their shoes from. Gotta go and buy these shoes. They're awesome, it's good news. I'm, it's the same for guys. Uh, Actually, about a week ago, I got a text and uh, our wives were making fun of us. But one of our elders, Jamie Stuber, uh, we've joked for years, we like to shop at Costco. And every once in a while, once a year, they get the line of Orvis shirts in. If you know anything about that outdoor clothing, where they ain't cheap if you buy them from Orvis, but from Costco, they're 14 bucks. He texts me last week and says the new Orvis shirts are in. Our wives were making fun of us, but guess where I was last Tuesday? And guess who owns two new $14 Orvis shirts? This guy right here. When it's good news, we share. And I appreciate him reaching out and letting me know that. I didn't want to miss out on the opportunity. Good news should be for all. This is what we're talking about over the next several weeks. Good news, the gospel message of Jesus is good news. And when his early followers encountered this good news, they saw Jesus die. Some of them were eyewitnesses to this. He was buried. Some of them were eyewitnesses to this. He rose from the grave and a whole bunch of people met the risen Lord after he rose from the grave. He beat the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell. It was good news, the gospel, and they couldn't shut up about it. I mean, literally, they got onto boats and they got on the backs of camels and they started going all over the known world of that time. People like Peter, who had spent time with Jesus, sharing the light. Because it's good news. They sought to light up a dark world that desperately needed to see their Jesus put on display. You could read through the book of Acts. You've got people like Cornelius. You've got people like Barnabas spreading the good news everywhere they go. All right. Let's look at this in the text. I'm in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The beginning of that movement happens right here. They've just witnessed God's done an amazing thing in our midst. And they're waiting to fulfill the great commission that Jesus called them to in Matthew chapter 28, go into all the world, tell everybody. The text there literally says in Greek, panta ethnes. It means all of the ethnic groups, all the tribes and tongues and and languages and subcategories of people. I want you to go everywhere, tell everybody about what I've done but you'll receive power while they're waiting. They're listening to this. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, go tell people about this, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And they do this. They light up the world. They changed the world. You're here today because about 120 people in those early days got lit up and they lit up others in a good way. And I wonder what that might have looked like from God's perspective, watching the light spread. Have you ever seen like a satellite image of the earth at night? I I love this one. This is a picture of the Holy Land. The text we just read, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Let's take it back just a little bit, a little bit further bird's eye view. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the known earth at that time let's look at it from a slightly different angle because what happened during that season of church growth was nothing short of amazing as the light is spread and it pierces the darkness everywhere it goes you had people they went south. They took the good news from Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. They started going to the ends of the Earth. We've got missionaries like uh, this guy. His name is Frumentius. He was an early missionary to Ethiopia. He left where it was comfortable for him, and he went somewhere where it was dark, where the light had not yet been seen. And he screwed in a light bulb. He struck a match. He shared his light. They went south. They went north. Let's check that out. That's still south. Some folks went this way, but some folks went to the north. Let's look at the next slide. This is maybe Europe. You recognize that, in the north shore of Africa, Portu- Portugal and Spain, and, and places like, uh, well, Franconia, modern-day France, a guy named Killian, St. Killian. He was an Irish missionary that was killed, actually, for his faith in this area. You've got Augustine of Canterbury. He was a missionary to England, took the Roman kind of uh, culture, took the Roman, uh, what they knew about Jesus, and took it over to England. You've got St. Boniface. He was uh, an influential uh, person in the conversion of the Germanic tribes right here north of the capital of the world, Rome. You've got uh, people like Dennis, who was an early missionary to France. You've got guys like uh, Olfilius, who was a missionary to the Goths people, the Visigoths, north of Rome. So those folks went, uh, what did I say, Uh, they went west. Then you've got people who went east. They left Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. They went to the ends of the earth. What you're looking at here, this is uh, the peninsula of India. And some of the folks went way over here to China. And uh, this was known as Nestorian at that point. And this guy's name is Al-Open. He was the first missionary to China, according to Jewish or Christian history. Then you've got folks who went over and they struck a match. They lit a light. Guys like David of Basra, who was an early missionary to India. A guy named Panteneus, who was an early missionary to India. Uh, all along the way, they're talking about Jesus. They're lighting a match. They're lighting up their world in amazing ways. Skip ahead a few years, we discover the new world. And people got on ships. And they went across... Uh, People went west, and we celebrate him once a year. That St. Patrick guy, if you're not wearing green, we pinch you on that day during the year. His story is amazing. I read a book years ago. George C. Hunter wrote a book called The Celtic Way of Evangelism. And his argument is that we need a new way of doing evangelism in the church this day. In a postmodern world This is a time for relational evangelism. Don't stand on the street corner and scream at people, but rather get to know people and love them into the kingdom. And then he uses Patrick, St. Patrick, as an example, the Celtic way of evangelism. Patrick was living over here in England, a very Roman guy. He was kidnapped by people in Ireland, and uh, he escaped and came back. And then because he loved them so much, he went back. He had learned their culture, and he integrated into their culture and told them about Jesus over here. He went west. You got people like Columba, who was one of the early missionaries to Scotland. He crossed Hadrian's Wall, and he went up there to tell those folks about Jesus. Then you got American missionaries. The new world is discovered, and people come this direction. They land in what they think is the West Indies, and they go north, and they go south from there telling people about Jesus. Hit the next slide. Some people start on the East Coast and they work their way this direction. Hit the next slide. They start on the West Coast and they work their way this direction. Until here we are, we find ourselves here today. Next slide, right here in Carmel, Indiana. Let your light shine. You ever wonder what does God see when he looks down from his perspective? Look at this one. His dream would be that the whole world, through you, through me, is exposed darkness is exposed to light the title of this message in this one life series the title of this message is light your world and let me just let you know this at the end of this service today we're going to have a call to action I'm going to invite you even in the back to get up from where you're at and you're going to come forward if if you're willing to say listen This evangelism thing, this thing we're talking about right now at church, this scares me just a little bit. It makes me nervous at least. I don't know if I'm equipped to do this, but I'm available. My commitment, God, would be that I'm willing to take one more step. As you whisper in my ear, as you nudge me, as you encourage me closer to this, I'm willing to follow. You lead, I'll follow. And if that's you, at the end of the service, there's going to be a moment of commitment, and I'm going to explain more about that here in a minute. I have two true, one life statements I wanna share with you today. Two true, one life statements. You might not believe actually that they're true, but they are. If you're taking notes, you heard Daniel say you could open up to page 14 and there you can jot some notes down. I would encourage you to do that. You'll probably discuss some of this with your small group later in the week. Write this one down. This is one true statement. You have far more influence than you can imagine. You, me, we have far more influence than we think we have, than we even imagine we have. Because it's not up to us, really. It's about Jesus. Here's the deal. Your identity, if you've asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life, your identity is in Christ. And here's what he wants you to do. He wants you to be light. Just like those early followers of him who lit up a dark world, he wants you to do the same. And if you're nervous, ah, he'll calm that. If you feel ill-equipped, he'll equip you. And we're going to do some of that good work over the next several weeks. Your identity is to be light. We pull this straight from Scripture. If you've got your Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to Matthew chapter 5 verse 14. Or maybe you want to grab one of those Bibles that are underneath the seat uh, in front of you. I'm I'm on page 969 of that particular Bible. 969 Matthew chapter 5 says this. You, me, we, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. I, I get teased for this, but I'm going to do it anyway. If this is the Holy Land, we just looked at a picture of the Holy Land. If this is the map, Jesus, I believe when he said this, he is on this mountain right over here on this side of the Sea of Galilee. On this side of the Sea of Galilee is what's known as the region of the Decapolis, ten cities, people who are far from God, people who have not yet crossed the line of faith. Now, Jesus gets on a boat and he goes over and he talks to them. He does life together with them. He takes care of their needs. Maybe you've heard of the feeding of the 5,000 that happened up here on the Jewish side of the lake. Jesus fed 4,000 over here on this side of the lake. He was interested in loving on those people well. He modeled that well. But over here on this side of the lake, he says, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Literally, he probably pointed across the lake. If you look over there, at night, Tiberius is over here. If they look at us, it's all lit up. There's the region of the Decapolis over here. They're lit up at night. A city on a hill can't be hidden. You can see it even across the lake. Here's the other thing. You live in a dark world. You do. You live in a dark world. The world is not how God created it. It's dark. Sin has made it this way. This is the tragic consequence of living in a fallen world. Now, remarkable progress has been made in some areas, but in the arena of life, its true meaning and its true purpose, oftentimes the world is clueless. They just don't know. It's dark because light has not been shined in their life yet. By the way, we're no further along than any other previous generation. There's still room to be done here. Your neighbors, your coworkers, people inside of your sphere of influence who have not yet crossed the line of faith, who are living far from God, they need you as light to shine into the darkness. Because you're the light. You're the light of that world. Oh, own that. Sit in that. Believe that. Jesus said of himself autobiographically, he said, I'm the light of the world. I can't even believe this, but he entrusts us to be his ambassadors, to be the light of the world for him. The purpose of light is to shine so it exposes the darkness and it guides our way. Have you ever been hiking around in the woods at night? I've done this a whole bunch of times. I usually wear a headlamp. There's something about that. When it's dark outside, just a little bit of light can illuminate the path and you need it when you're walking in darkness. You're the light. That was a remarkable statement then when Jesus first said it next to the Sea of Galilee. It's a remarkable statement. Now, I can't believe he entrusts us to do this, but he does. You are the light of the world and you have far more spiritual influence than you can imagine. A true Christian will be seen in the darkness. Just like when I'm walking around in the woods at night with a headlamp on my head, if you come walking 100 or 200 yards or a quarter mile away, you're going to see that light. When you live an authentic life before your God, the people in your life who see darkness, who live in darkness, they will see Jesus leaking through you. And your responsibility in Christ is to shine the light. Shine the light. Over the next seven weeks, that's really the only thing we're calling you toward. Don't even think about hiding your light. Jesus talks about this in this same passage, Matthew chapter 5. He says, You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nobody, nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. That would be absurd. But rather, it puts it on a lampstand and it gives light for all who are in that house. Anything less then shining the light is unthinkable. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. But we do it. Four ways, there are a whole bunch more than this, but four ways that we have a tendency to hide our light. If you're taking notes, you might want to write these down. First of all, when we walk in the dark, you've been redeemed, Jesus says. You're a new creation. Live differently. But when our walk and our talk don't line up, Maybe this is outright sin. Maybe it's ugliness in your life. And people notice this when we walk in the dark. Maybe it's hypocrisy we struggle with. Christians oftentimes tend to wrestle with that. Or maybe legalism. I've been redeemed. I believe in grace. But I still want you to live according to my list of rules. Maybe it's uh, impurity, some sin, undealt sin issues in your life that need to be wrestled to the ground we hide our light when we walk in the dark. We also hide our light when we fail to love. Do people see you just exuding Jesus love? How about this: uh, when you on your social media feed, do people look at that and see love leaking? How about this: when we fail about our purpose, we forget that we our whole purpose is to shine. We just forget. We kind of go about the busyness of our life, and we're not doing it. How about number four: when we become passive and reluctant? It's just not a priority for us. These are four ways that we hide our light. Jesus says instead, let your light shine. What does it say? Rather on a lampstand, put it up, give it light for all. All who are in the house are supposed to be seen and seen by the light that you shine. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, right? They can see your good works, and then what? Give uh, praise and honor to you. No. No, no, no. So they see Jesus leaking through you. Jesus is saying, this is what you're doing. This is what I want you to do. This is what you're doing. Stop it. Stop it. This is not the plan that I've put in purpose through you. This is what I want you to do. Make your light shine. Do we hide it under a bushel basket? No, no, no. Let your light shine. Here's six ways. If you take a notes, you can shine your light. There are others, but here's a few to get us started. Power, that text we just read a bit ago. Holy Spirit, power that came from on high. And people were moved by that. The early followers of Jesus put God's power on display any chance they got. And he calls you to do the same thing. How about Joy. You exude joy. Shine the light with joy in your life. How about love as you love? How about peace? Put peace on display. Are you a peacemaker? How about simply by making a friend? That's the story that Rick and Nancy shared a bit ago, right? They're befriending their neighbors on either side of them. This is not rocket science. It takes intentionality. You can do this we can do this how about this one a culture of invitation are you inviting the folks that you're doing life together with are you inviting them into what god is doing in your life here by the way are a couple of important dates that are coming up right around the corner you don't want to miss next week next week we're doing a panel discussion have you ever wondered what people who are far from god who have not yet crossed the line of faith you want to know what they think about you and me and what they think about our Jesus? Well, we're going to ask them. Don't miss next Sunday, September 18th. By the way, it's going to be a different worship service probably than we've ever experienced here at Venture before. That's a good thing. Different is good. Because we need to know what people are thinking. And I have a sneaking suspicion that some of us, we just don't know what they're thinking about us. So with respect, we're going to ask them. And with respect, they're going to share with us. It's going to be very different. Most of the service is going to be a panel discussion up here. By the way, it's a great friend event. If you've, We talked about one life, hashtag one life. Perhaps you remember that series back in the springtime, March Madness. Maybe you've been thinking about this and you've got one life to live and you've got one life that you're going to invest in, one life around you. And this would be a great event to invite your one life to come and be a part of this with you next Sunday. And then the following Sunday is really more for us as well. Um, That Sunday, we're going to have a nationally recognized expert on evangelism, personal evangelism. His name is Gary Poole. He's going to be here preaching that Sunday. You don't want to miss that either. Actually, you don't want to miss any of the seven weeks of this series. There's great stuff that's going along there. And maybe you want to invite somebody to come and be a part of it as well. Okay. I said there are two true one life statements. Number one, you have far more influence than you can imagine. Number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. There are far more opportunities than there are compassionate influencers. There are far more opportunities than there are compassionate influencers. I've got a real estate friend that told me just the other day he thinks he's watching the market turn right now from a seller's market to a buyer's market. You know the difference between those two things. Listen, as far as Jesus is concerned, and listen, we're not manipulating. I don't mean this in a negative, sleazy sales way, but it is a seller's market. There are far more opportunities than there are compassionate influencers. There's a dark world out there that needs to see your light. Go ahead and turn over a few pages to page 974 or turn over in your Bible to Matthew chapter 9, Verse 35, this is where we pull this from the text. Jesus continued, continued going around to all the towns and the villages, teaching, by the way, he was in Jerusalem, Judea, some spaces in Samaria. He did not go to the ends of the earth. He left that for those who came behind him. But during his earthly ministry, he spent a lot of time shining his light. And he modeled this for us. Teaching in the synagogues. I've been in a couple of those, and it's amazing to think about Jesus sitting there and opening up the scrolls and reading from the Old Testament and then teaching and preaching the good news of the kingdom. Listen, guys, you can be a part of this. And healing every disease and every sickness from this. Let me just say this. Jesus got involved. He got messy. He got his hands dirty. He was with sick people and lost people and hurting people. Let me just say this. There is no substitute for getting involved in people's lives. There's no substitute for this. You can't shortchange that piece. Let's look back here. In verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching the synagogues, preaching, and healing every sickness and disease. He wanted to reach all. He wanted to build bridges He did this by doing a couple of things. You can see it right here in the text. He shared good news. He preached and he taught God's word. By the way, you have access to the same thing. You have the Bible. Do you believe that you have the answer? Share good news. Doing good works, this is the other thing that he did. You see this, he's healing every disease. He's healing every sickness. He's meeting people where they are. We have to get involved. Jesus changed the neighborhood. He brought heaven to earth. And he invites us to be open, to be receptive even to this idea, to simply ask God to help us see people as Jesus sees them. Jesus had compassion. Let's read it. Jesus, uh, when he saw the crowds, the next slide, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and they were dejected like a sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the crowds differently. Let's go ahead and uh, put up the next slide. There's a group of people who are probably watching that same thing. There's a group of people called the Pharisees. They were arrogant and they had contempt for the crowds. Why? Well, because they're sinners. They're not doing the things to the letter of the law that we are because we're righteous. Some of us, we might need to take a hard look at ourselves over the next seven weeks. Some of us as Christians who have been around the church for a while, we might fit in that category. You look across the street at your neighbor and well, they're not at church on Sunday and you kind of shame on them. This is what the Pharisees were guilty of. Be careful. Then you've got Jesus, another piece of this equation. He was moved with compassion and urgency. He said they're like a sheep without a shepherd. By the way, In the Judean wilderness, if you were a sheep without a shepherd, it meant one thing you're dead. It is not going to end well for you. Jesus sees the confused crowds and he's moved with compassion because there's an eternal destiny that is at uh, at stake here. He's moved with compassion. They're like a sheep without a shepherd. We're not Jesus. Many of us, most of us are probably not Pharisees, but that leaves a whole bunch of us right here in the middle. Maybe we're simply clueless. When we look around and see the world that looks dark, well, I'm not sure how to do that good work. Yes, Stan, I want to be part of shining my light, but I don't know how to do it. That's okay. Over the next seven weeks and then even following, listen, we're turning a corner with this with our church. We're going to double down on this. We're going to train you up on this. You will not be clueless. If you're clueless, it will be by your own choice. We're leaning into this hard as a church. Some of us perhaps are just a bit complacent. Yeah, my neighbor is going to hell, but uh, that's a problem. We need to lean into that. Maybe some of us were simply selfish. Yeah, I should walk across the street and talk with my neighbor, but the Colts play at 1 o'clock today, and I just don't want to do that. Or maybe we're just simply too busy. Jesus was moved with compassion. There was a survey released just a few years ago. I think Ed Stetzer is the one that did this study. He asked evangelicals, uh, a whole bunch of them, a whole bunch of questions, and it was like a percentage, a scale. Who would answer yes to these questions? 21% of us answered the question Do you pray that you win the lottery? 21% of us said, yep, I do. I understand you have to play at the lottery to win the lottery. I'm distracted. Maybe wanting want to go on a tangent about gambling, but I'm not going to do that. That's not the point. 21% of us said we pray to win the lottery. 20% of us said we pray for people who have not yet crossed the line of faith. 20% of us are being moved with compassion because there's sheep wandering around out there without a shepherd. by the way, statistics tell us that the longer a person is a follower of Jesus, the fewer non-Christian friends that we have. We're going to call you to a different way of living over the next seven weeks because it should be opposite that. We want to flip that around because some things never change. The opportunities are endless, but the challenges, they're real. Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Listen, there's no shortage in the harvest. Ha! it's ripe. Jesus said, look to the fields, they're white unto harvest. Do we believe this of Jesus? Listen, your neighbors might be sick to death of religion, but they could be moved with an encounter with the real Jesus and the authentic and imperfect followers that shine light into their life. Your neighbors could be moved with that. The shortage is actually in the workers. It's not with the harvest. The problem is there's not enough of us shining our light into the dark world. It's hard work. It's messy. It's dirty. Harvest time often is. And everybody in the family, though, if you've ever been around the farm, everybody gets in on that because it's important and it's good work. And it's not that complicated. We just need to do it. And we're going to aim at that. We're shining a spotlight on this issue for the next several weeks as a church. So I'm going to invite you to do this. To ask God to mobilize lots of compassionate workers and include yourself in that prayer. Don't pray, God, send somebody else to do this work. Pray, God, send me. What did Jesus say? Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send out workers into his harvest. Pray. I'm going to call you to a commitment moment here in just a moment. I'm going to invite you, each one of you, who are saying, yeah, God, I'm open to this. I'm a little nervous. It scares me just a little bit if I'm super honest. I don't want to be one of those weird people standing on the street corner yelling at people. I don't want to be that person. Well, good. I don't want to be that person either. But if you're willing to say, listen, God, I'll take one step. You whisper in my ear, I'll take another step. You whisper in my ear, I want to be somebody who's bringing light to the dark world if that's you. The action step is to come forward here in just a moment. We want light to go from this place out and we've we've got an action step for you. It's it's uh, one of these little they're kind of chintzy actually. glow lights. It's a glow stick, and as an act of commitment, if you're saying, yeah, Jesus, I'm willing to show up to my small group. I'm willing tomorrow to get into my One Life book. Tomorrow morning, Monday morning, you're gonna open this up, and you're gonna do day one study. And God, as I do this, I'm willing to take one step. Go ahead and, as a moment, an act of solidarity with your God. Go ahead and and break that open and see the light shine out. And maybe you even want to pray the prayer, God, light me up so that you can light your world. You heard Rick and Nancy's story at the beginning of this sermon. Can I tell you the rest of the story? I talked to them a couple times this past week. Both Rick and Nancy Nancy grew up in homes where their dads did not know God but came to know Jesus and it changed their family tree. Rick told me the story of his family had just moved to a new town in Ohio. Well, he kind of moved. He was, his mom was pregnant with him. He had not yet been born. Dad was an alcoholic. Mom was fed up with that. They were having one of those, you know, knock down, drag out marital fights and mom was packing the clothes to leave. They had just moved to town. The neighbors, literally across the street is the Church of Christ. The neighbors, the church, came over to greet them and say, we're glad you're here. Hey, they knocked on the door in the middle of this fight. Can you imagine? They came in, they invited them in, they sat down, they put on happy faces and they listened to an invitation. Yeah, come and join us. We've got this cool thing happening at the church. We'd love to have you. And they did it. They stepped into that story. There's some tears in the storytelling. Rick was telling me that um, his dad became a Jesus follower. His dad actually became a leader in his home church. He was standing up front on a Sunday morning. He was leading a time of prayer, literally standing behind the pulpit, and he had a, a medical issue, and he collapsed. He died in the church building. In Christ because he was a lifelong follower of Jesus at that point. Rick and Nancy have served God faithfully for 50 years in the local church and in uh, an international humanitarian and Jesus-centric ministry. It's pretty cool. I bet thousands of people have been impacted by their faithfulness. And they're rolling up their sleeves and being Christ's ambassadors on their street you can kind of trace that spiritual story back to two people who knock on a door and risk a little and step into the space and begin a relationship that God uses in powerful ways that's that's all we're inviting you to do take a step say God you lead I'll follow if you're willing to do that after I pray while we're singing just come on up Grab one of these, and as a moment of solidarity and a commitment before God, you break it and say, I'm willing to follow you. I'll take a step. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for the opportunity that we have to think about darkness and light and to recognize that you pierce the darkness with saving grace. And we get to be workers that bring in the harvest. We get to be a part of shining your light to a world that desperately needs to see it. So God, right now, we say we're willing. We'll take a step of faith. You lead, we'll follow.